Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know what? This something for nothing economics isn't conservative, uh, it's uh, socialism. Um, and now inflation is hitting double digits. The assumption is that an independent central bank will raise interest rates in order to attract money into the country to finance the budget deficit. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. This week, how well protected should the banking sector be? This week, we look at the Chicago plan that followed the Great Depression, a plan that aimed to stop any future runs on banks. Well, that didn't work. The plan really was to stop banks lending out money that they didn't have, to stop them creating money, in other words. Well, uh, bits of that plan did turn into legislation, much needed. Uh, Some of it didn't see the light of day. So what can we take out from the Chicago plan all those years ago? And was it a good idea? That's this week on the Debunking Economics Podcast. So this one came from the Debunking Economics website from uh, uh, Brent Valentine. Firstly, thanks for this podcast. I had a basic understanding of economics, well, from the neoclassical perspective anyway, and this has really opened my mind to another way of thinking. Please could you discuss the Chicago plan and how this relates to modern monetary theory? Thanks, Ben. So... Uh, so Ben, I said, so I'm not sure. I think I might have said Brent. Sorry, Ben. Uh, so the Chicago plan uh, came after the Great Depression, mm-hmm. of course. It was Chicago economists all getting together. And they basically wanted to stop banks. Well, creating money. There seems to be a bit of a misunderstanding as to what it actually wanted. They only wanted banks lending out money that they had 100% deposits for mm. because that would, they reckon, abolish risk. Hmm. It doesn't, though, does it? I mean, I mean, first of all, there's, we have to get an understanding of when money goes into a bank, wh- where does it actually sit? Hmm. But if, if the thinking was, well, I'm only going to lend out money that somebody's given to me, that doesn't abolish risk because in the meantime, you might have invested that money, which, of course, banks are not supposed to well, do. Well, you've, you've got to go back and do the accounting here. And to give a, a full answer here, I'll actually need to go back and, and do that, which I yeah. haven't haven't properly done using Minsky. But the fundamental idea, first of all, banks create money by creating loans. Okay? Yeah. I've seen see so much confusion on this. I saw another person commenting on my Twitter feed a couple of days ago uh, saying that banks don't actually create money. I'm sorry, they do. Okay. Now, the money, uh, when you look at what money is, money is fundamentally two things. It's cash, and only the government can produce cash, whatever country you're in. You know, print the paper yourself, you'll get a knock on the door at some point. Uh, so the cash is one thing the governments and only governments can create. But the other major form of cash these days is bank deposits. Yeah. Now, who can put an entry in a bank deposit which is not offset by a deduction from another deposit and the answer is that the banks can because they can put if they put uh, if they put a sum into your deposit account then they've got they can they've got the right if you agreed to them doing it 
to put exactly the same sum into their assets, which is a loan to you. So they create money by bumping up their assets on one side through loans and bumping up the liabilities on the other side through deposits. So the Chicago plan was based on the wrong premise then. It was well, based what, on we, the idea that the, the bank, loans are given out from which they, they, they deposits don't that do, are put in. Which yeah. they don't do. So yeah. it, there's, there's parts of the... I mean, the, the Chicago plan involved both Irving Fisher and... Milton Friedman, mm. amongst other supporters at various times. <laughs> Milton Friedman obviously misunderstood the financial sector. Irving Fisher understood it properly after the Great Depression. He was a fool beforehand, but he got it right afterwards. So his understanding would have been different on that front. But what you're trying to do is stop the banks being able to create uh, loans indefinitely by expanding both the asset and liability side of their balance sheet. That's what the real Chicago plan right. would have to so do. So, okay, so this idea, it's a misinterpretation then of the Chicago plan to say that, that what they were trying to, they were because, the, you know, you read the popular press about it, yeah. from the, even from the time, it was to try and get rid of this idea of fractional reserve banking. Which, of course, as I've said, is a Does, myth. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, yeah. 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 Um, so that's the problem you're but trying the, to abolish that the is, myth. Yes, but that is based on the, this idea that I put, uh, I put, Ten thousand, or I put a hundred thousand pounds into the bank. They can now give a loan out to to a million. Yeah, which is not but, what happens. But, yeah. So what you'd have to do, and again, I've said I haven't. I mean, I've, I, it would not take a long time to sit down and do this, but it, it's time I don't have right now. But what you would have instead, and this is the proposal from Positive Money, and other groups like it, that rather than banks having an unlimited capacity to create well, a capacity limited by their equity. That's that's Bank equity is what limits their capacity to create new loans and their willingness to lever their equity uh, compared to the, uh, the, the liabilities they have. Um, so that's, that's the main control on what they currently do. What you'd instead say is, okay, the government is now going to create fiat money. Okay, and that would be the only form of money creation then would be the government running a deficit. So in that in its own right, I've got to say, that's probably my main reason why I've would favour a plan like positive money or uh, the Chicago plan because we'd finally have a system admitting, we'd have a policy which admitted what the system actually was yeah. rather than having myths about it. Okay, so that being the other way that money is created, so the yeah. government so the government creates that fiat money and what? The, so the idea would be that banks would not be able to create money. But, what, but then the banks would then have a fund at the, uh, like an, an asset at the um, central bank which the, gov the government itself would control how large that fund was. So uh, the, gov the bank would then lend out, and each time they lend a dollar out of, each time they lend a dollar to a, to a, a person from the private sector, then the fund they have would go down by a dollar. Okay? Now that's, the, the idea is therefore the only way they could make a profit is by arbitrage. So if they lent money to people, they'd have to be charging more for the, the people who borrowed that money than they paid for the money themselves. And that would be quite feasible and in a Chicago plan system because you could actually say, well, uh, private loans are a public service. Okay? You, want, you want banks to providing loans for various purposes. You know, you'd, you'd, want a, you know, you'd want a private sector person making a decision about whether a particular firm deserves working capital or not rather than a bureaucrat. So... You know, that, that sort of argument. Right. But the only way they'd make it... So you could actually give them the money at zero cost and then say you have to make a... Your profit now comes from the, the margin. Charge. Yeah. Not, not from the volume. Yeah. At the moment, they make a profit both from the volume and from the margin. Right. 
Okay, so in other words, it's the interest they charge on that loan. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's how they it's, it's how they make money. Hmm. But the bureaucrats are deciding how much money there is. So the bureaucrats are the ones deciding how much money there is. There. Yeah, so, and that's that's so, the point people often revolt about. You know, but the thing is, they're doing it anyway mm, and doing it badly mm. uh, by believing they should run a surplus. Okay, which means they create less money than they should, and uh, and so the whole well, less argument, money than there was, in fact, it was shrinking the money supply by yeah, creating that surplus. Yeah. yeah, So that that is the reason, like a, a positive reason, to go for a Chicago plan. But in terms of the accounting of it, uh, the idea would be that the banks would then have this reserve that they had replenished by uh, the government. And they could lend out of that fund, but there would be a, a fixed amount that they could create by, by loans, um, or put into circulation by loans. So it's, let me give the reading from the Chicago plan then, which I think mm -hmm. is supporting what you're saying. So the Federal Reserve Bank's should liquidate the assets of all member banks, pay off liabilities and dissolve all existing banks and new institutions should be created which accepted only demand deposits subject to a 100% reserve requirement in lawful money and or deposits with the reserve banks. See, they're demand deposits. And this is the point that the, the mainstream gets wrong uh, because a demand deposit means if you put $100 into the bank, you can come back tomorrow and demand that $100 back and the bank simply has to give you that money. Yeah. Now, that means that that money, your money has not been lent out to somebody else. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... Uh, if, if you're going to control demand deposits like that, then you can't be lending them out. And that's the contradiction. Right. Uh, what, you, what you're instead doing in the real world is you don't lend the demand deposits out. You add to the demand deposits when you create a loan. That's what's happening right now. So, you know, your, your savings are irrelevant to what the bank actually lends out. It's the bank's willingness to create a loan, which determines how much is in deposit accounts. And if you put 100 bucks in the bank, you go to the bank tomorrow, you can take 100 bank bucks back out again. It hasn't been lent. Okay. The loan that they did to somebody else has added to the bank accounts in, in circulation and also added to the assets of the banking sector. So if you're going to stop that, you've got to have a system that means that banks uh, can't inflate their asset side. And at the moment, they can inflate their assets by lending. Or by investing, can't they? Well, no, banks face extreme limits on what they can actually do with any of their assets. Right. So that, that was one thing that came out of the Chicago plan, though. I think the one thing that w was enacted, wasn't it? There was there started to be a limitation on what they could do with the money, which had been given yep. to them by depositors. Yeah, which, I mean, which, which in, in the a, past, there was an... And I, I don't really... I mean, if you go back to the PCORA Commission, that would be a fascinating read for most people because the PCORA Commission exposed the extent to which the banks had been involved in all the speculation and bubbles and financial chicanery of the 1920s. Uh, and that's what led to all the regulations, which then said banks have got very strict limits on what they can actually do with their money. And really, a lot of what you can see in post-World War a post-World War II history is banks trying to find ways to get away from those constraints. And we've ended up with probably almost as financialized an economy now as we had back in the 1920s. So we've gone in the opposite direction to the Chicago plan because a huge part of it was restraining banks from bad behavior. Instead, we've rewarded them for bad behavior. So that's, I mean, we've separated, of course, now the idea, you know, that the money that you deposit in a bank gets used for, for risky investments. Banks can engage in risky investments, but they've got to do that with, not with that money. 
Well, they don't. They don't do it at all. I mean, mm-hmm. again, I said the the way that they lend is by increasing the loans, which are an asset, mm-hmm. and increasing the deposits, which is a liability. Um, so, if you are going to effectively control them, you have to have a means to stop them creating additional assets for themselves. And one way you could do that is to say, well, if you um, lend, then um, another asset you have has to fall. Like that's what people think happened right now. They think when banks lend, their reserves go down, okay? But if the reserves go down, the only, the, 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 if, if that's the only asset that falls in value, then their liabilities have to fall in value as well. Their liabilities are money, mm. okay? So if the reserves go, sorry, if reserves go down, you can't have deposits going down at the same time, okay? It's just, Accounting is false. You get a, Minsky points it out to you straight away. You get a minus two right. times the, which is wrong. You got a zero for your sum for the row. Um, so, in that situation, uh, you, banks had an asset which was created by the government, which was the limit of what they could lend. And as it went down, okay, you'd have to have the, that asset falling, another one rising. Okay, uh, and then the lend the loan itself could not turn up on the deposit side of that same bank, okay? It, the loan would have to be in another form. Now, the easiest form is cash, okay? But a negotiable instrument has to be the way, the form that a loan would take in that world. So the Chicago plan, I mean, it's, it's, it's easier to understand the workings of banks under the Chicago plan then. So, because yeah. the banks would just loan out, they'd have, they'd have a, an account with the Reserve Bank, mm. which would have so much money in it. Yep. And they could, that's how much they can lend out. Yeah, and you, what, you'd, what you'd have effectively is that they'd be lending cash. Mm. Okay, and the, the cash would be created by the by the government, and they could probably buy the cash with their electronic reserves. Let's say, and then when they want to lend out, they'd put it put it in cash form, so the borrower can take it out of the bank and have a loan, which they would then be willing to accept. You, you have to get the money to get to be willing to take on a loan. You don't go to the bank and say, I'd like to have a loan for a million dollars. They're right, okay, you owe us a million dollars. Where's my cash? Okay. Yeah, yeah, you, won't, okay. you don't want it in cash. But, you, but, you, but, you know, you but, want it in cash. Because they say, we're going to increase your debt by a million dollars and give you nothing. That is not what you go to a bank for. Yeah. Okay. So if, you, if you're willing to let you put the, the, they've got an asset, which is a million dollar claim on you, somehow in some form you want that million dollars. Now, at the moment, it turns up in your deposit account. But if you made this change to the to try to implement the Chicago plan in the actual financial system we have, then the asset, which was the bank's lending fund, would have to go down. Their loans would have to go up. And the only way that I can mentally work this out without doing a Minsky model physically to take me through the steps would be if your loan came out in a negotiable instrument and the most obvious form is cash. So to make the Chicago form loan system work while still enabling banks to lend, you'd have to have cash as the form of loans, I think. So if I want, um, if I go to the bank and say, I want to buy a house that's worth a, a, a million pounds mm. and I want a million pound loan mm. for that, the bank would say, well, OK, we've got a million pounds. Um, or, they'd, or they'd be writing a, like a, a transfer on your behalf yeah. to the person you're buying from. But they would have then, to, but they'd have to have that million pounds sitting in, in their bank somewhere in, yeah. with and, the Reserve Bank. And probably. that would go down. So that, that account would fall right. and therefore they would have less capacity to continue lending. And the size, so be, the size of that 
uh, account sitting with the Reserve Bank would have been determined by how much money has been created by the government. Yeah, for that purpose. Right. So, um, and if you think about it, a huge part of it, and this, we remember the Great Depression was caused by the banks, yeah. okay, uh, was to stop that ever happening again. Yeah. And in that particular situation, you get a, a very unlikely set of bedfellows, uh, Irving Fisher and, and Milton Friedman. Now, uh, Friedman was and died a neoclassical economist. Fisher began a neoclassical economist, had the near-death experience of the Great Depression and completely flipped his analysis. But he also came out in favour of something which restricted the capacity for banks to behave badly. Right. They both thought banks were too big and had too much influence on the economy. Well, if, you look, if you look at almost all neoclassical economists, certainly the bloody Austrians, who are really annoying the hell out of me right now, it's some correspondence I'm copying from them, they are trying to change the system to eliminate the existence of banks as we know them. Okay? Their whole idea is banks are you know, committing fraud. So the, the, the Austrian... Because, are, of, because of the money that they're creating. Because they create money. Okay? Yeah. Now, so they're not committing fraud. They're obeying the rules of accounting. Yeah. You know? uh, so if you want to... And that makes the Austrians end up being more revolutionary than most Marxists because they want to change a fundamental aspect of the capitalist system. And I'm, I'm not against it by any, by any means, uh, but it's, you know, they, they think they're describing the current system and criticising it. They're actually don't understand the current system and they're pushing for a radical reform, uh, which is like the Chicago plan. I wish they just knew what the hell they were doing. <laughs> All right. Well, let's look at, uh, you know, who might not like this, uh, this idea. Uh, and are they outnumbered by those people who think it perhaps would be a, a good idea? And how would it change the world? We'll look at that when we when we come back on the Debunking Economics podcast. It's me. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. Back in just a second. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Okay, we are looking at the Chicago plan, this idea that uh, basically banks could only loan out money if they had the money, as opposed to what happens currently, which is where they create the money. Mm. Uh, so money creation would only be made by governments who could control the amount of money that's in circulation. That's what we're looking at today mm. in answer to a, a, an email that's been sent in by Ben. So thanks for that, Ben. So um, who would be against this idea, apart from banks? Well, my, <laughs> I'm potentially against it. 
because one thing which worries me about that situation is that the only way that would work is if the banks were actually profitable out of an arbitrage business alone. Mm. Okay. And like at the moment, they're far too profitable. They're far too big. A huge part of the profitability comes out of financing asset bubbles, which is why we have booms and crashes, as we've had you know in the last 20 years. Um, but if you do say that banks can only lend out money which is created by the government and allocated to them to lend, then they have to be much, much more cautious in their lending. And it's going to cost more to lend. Yeah, there would be larger interest rates being charged as well because you'd have to cover not just um, the, the... charging interest on your loan, but also charging interest on your loan in case somebody else's loan goes bad. Mm. So there's got to be a large, you know, you, you expect a lot of loans are going to fail. So it's because it's, it's, we're back to, I can see why the Austrians would like this, because it's all about scarcity of money, isn't it? It's like saying, well, okay, there's going to be less money around. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you've got to, you know, it gets back to the whole thing about, you know, well, money is such a precious thing. We've got to be careful what we do with it. Got to conserve it, blah, blah, blah. blah. So, yeah. so if, the, if it was determined by, by governments, and we know how governments hate the idea of running a, a surplus, so they'd be doing, governments would be trying hard to, to yeah, control the, the, the supply you, you, of money yeah. as well. Yeah, so we, money would become very scarce under this. Yeah, under and this you could end up, therefore, with an economy which, I mean, granted, I've got my issues about economic growth right now. However, let's go back 200 years. Mm. If you'd done this in the early stages of capital, and there would have been a shortage of money all the time. Yeah. And, um, and, and there's belief that people have about the flexibility, like, you know, money's just a measuring stick. It's never just been a measuring stick. It's been a motive force in capitalism throughout. And there's one thing I really like about Richard Vague's work, Richard being one of our supporters on Patreon as well, but you know, a banker, quite a successful banker in his own right. He's done brilliant research with his group, the uh, Debt Economics Group, and they've gone back and looked at you know, actual historical like newspapers reconstructing data series. So if anybody's not following um, Debt Economics on Twitter, I recommend you do follow and look at their, their work. But Richard makes the point that a huge part of the industrialization that occurred during the 19th century and even the 20th was driven by speculation. Uh, the railways were all about, you know, land speculation and making like a, particularly in America they were. Uh, but that left an enormous legacy of industrial structures for the rest of us. And as unstable as the financial sector system has been, because it's produced this, you know, particularly surplus of money in one sense, um, a huge amount of investment occurred, which may have failed in booms and crashes when it first occurred. Almost every financial crisis back in the 19th century was a combination of a housing crisis and a railroad crisis. Uh, but the legacy that it gave us of this industrial structure is incredibly valuable now. Mm. So would you get the same creativity out of a highly constrained financial system? I'm not sure. No, because if a bank has the ability to create money, uh, I mean, in theory, of course, most of it, that, that money that's created by banks goes into houses. Mm. And the appeal there is because there's collateral on the other side, yeah. isn't there? So, yeah. so, I mean, banks are... But then if you go back to the 19th century, they create money for railroad adventures and the, the collateral would be the railroad. The railroad. All yeah. the land along the railroad as well. Yeah. So if the, if the borrower failed to pay, then the bank ended up owning the asset. Uh, which, you know, with the you know, financial sector being the, the, the vampire squids, the yeah. credit. But the, in terms of the physical world in which we all live, there's now a railroad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that's the, the creative side of debt in that sense. And at the, the Chicago plan, someone comes along and says, oh, I want to borrow some money for a house. 
and the house is worth a million, I want to borrow a million. The bank goes, well, that's pretty safe for us. Uh, we'll dip into that million we've got sitting in our reserve bank account. If someone else comes along and says, I've got it, I need a million because I want to invest in in this. They'll say, well, that's not, well, that's a bit more risky. And we've, more... and we've already spent our million. We haven't got some, you know, money, money doesn't grow on trees, you know, not mm. these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that fluidity that the and banking that's, sector that's, has. That's what I worry about. So, you know, like it, it's. Uh, can, can you create the fluidity without banks having the capacity to create money? Mm. And like one thing which I've, um, like I've, obviously I'm supported by crowdfunding these days. I've supported a ridiculous range of crowdfunding ventures myself as well. And uh, partially the argument in favour of banks creating money for investment is that they have to actually go and do the research and, you know, they're not just financing housing bubbles, and they've got to go and say, what's a viable industrial uh, project? What entrepreneurs look like they might actually deliver, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And they're going to do a better job of that than a bunch of bureaucrats yeah. trying to do it in, in that like sense. For, like, for example, investment in alternative technologies, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now one other way to do it would be to give people money and say, okay, you can use this money only for crowdfunding. Mm. And then what you get is the intelligence of crowds. Now, um, sometimes that works out to be incredibly... There's a bit of self-interest huh? going huh? on here, dear listener. Huh? There's a bit of self-interest going on here. This There's... is certain, but I think well, that's why I said I throw a large amount of money myself <laughs> out in other ventures. I mean, one I wanted to see was an Australian firm that uh, developed the world's first uh, portable computer. And that never... The, 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 there was going to be an iPad-type clone, and it never, never came about, so my money went up in smoke. Other times, the money's come back to me in various ways, you know, portable equipment, exercise equipment and stuff like that. But you, you do want that um, private sector feel for private uh, in, initiatives and innovation. And if you got rid of the banks having that capacity, and they've largely got rid of themselves by financing speculation rather than investment, I'd still want to have some in, in, in wisdom of crowds turning up uh, as opposed to the madness of crowds mm. uh, in how we allocated money and in, invested so the Chicago plan was all started because the idea was that they're trying to stop runs on banks, wasn't it? Fundamentally, it was to yeah, say, well, you yeah. know, there's, there's going to be money around. Yeah. Uh, because they with a false idea of what caused the runs. Yeah. 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 So the IMF in 2012, the IMF wrote a paper the uh, about the Chicago plan and said one of the advantages is that having fully reserve backed bank deposits, I guess they are, mm. aren't they? In effect, mm. that's what we're talking about, would completely eliminate bank runs, thereby increasing financial stability and allowing banks to concentrate on their core lending function without worrying about instabilities originating on the liability side of the bank sheet. But, I mean, which is fair enough, but when there's a, a run on the bank, I mean, the bank is either, either doesn't, it, it doesn't have the money, which mm. means it would be trading insolvent if it doesn't have the money to back out those loans, or it's just in some illiquid form. They can't get their hands on it quickly enough. They're the only they the, they were the only reasons there'd be a run on the bank, isn't it? Under the current system. Well, I mean, I mean, one of my favourites actually is is uh, Northern Rock. Yeah. On that front, because as it happens, as well as you know, we know they all collapsed over here, and there was a run on Northern Rock. Uh, one of my colleagues, Australian as it happens, but he used to work for an American financial company. He said he went on a regular tour of Europe, which he did as part of his business and then ended up going, I think it was Finland, maybe in Sweden, but he found all these people had uh, in, in, taken, uh, bought bonds from Northern Rock. 
And he said he got back to Boston, hopped off the plane, and because asked, "What did you decide to do when you were in Europe, boss?" He said, "Short Northern Rock," because he knew that they were they're so desperate to get the liabilities to match their asset side had to be overinflating the assets, a crash was likely to happen. But why, how did they get into that situation? That was because they had bought stuff that wasn't worth as much as what well, they paid just for. a huge speculative bubble. They, they, you know, yeah. they, they finance asset price speculation on a grand scale. There's lots of fraud going on as well. They had to cover their asses and they were getting money in from other people. So the outgoings, they, they had outgoings that exceeded their in, in, incomings. And one way to cover that was to borrow money long and lend short. And he said, this has got to end in catastrophe. And it will. So it was fraudulent behaviour by the bank. Yeah. And down they went. Um, so you'd, you'd, you'd put a limit on that sort of behaviour. And that's a large part of what people see as being wrong about the 1920s as well. Um, I mean, one, one side effect about the 1920s, which still stuns me when I see it, uh, is that we know it was a huge stock market bubble. Why was it a stock market bubble? Because margin loans, which in that those margin loans from banks enable you to buy, put down 10% of the value of the shares. They put down $100,000. You could buy a million dollars worth of, of, of shares. Yeah. Um, margin debt went from being 1% of GDP in 1920 to 8.5%. Yeah, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Okay. Yeah. So that's the sort of stuff the Chicago plan was directed at, not letting that happen anymore. Um, but, of course, it also tied up with the fallacies that mainstream economics has about how banks actually operate. So I, I would like to have something which meant bank lending was for unavoidably large consumption items, working capital for corporations, and genuine investment. That's what I'd like to see. Whether the Chicago plan is put forward would actually get you there, I'm, I'm just not sure. And I think it might end up with a stultified financial sector, which would enable less innovation than we saw capitalism achieve in the 19th and early 20th centuries. So the other, I mean, the other, the, the one, the other thing that came out of that Chicago plan, although the one thing that actually happened was the separation, wasn't it, between Merchant. commercial and investment banks? Yeah, that's right, and that, and that's that's a major improvement. Yeah, but at the same time, then what you, where does Morgan Stanley come from? Where does Goldman Sachs come from? I don't know the actual histories, but I would not be at all amazed that they were basically manoeuvres by other people in the financial sector to evade the controls placed on banks. Yeah, so they and said, well, okay, well, we'll run a separate investment bank, but we're still, yeah, yeah and there's there's banks where uh, you know, and they were the ones who were rescued during the 2007 financial crisis. Yeah. I mean, my favourite uh, element in um, Hank Paulson's book, On the Brink, uh, is actually reproduced on the on the, on the the uh, dust jacket, so you don't have to buy the book to read it. Just read the dust jacket. And he, he gets <laughs> I a, love bank, bank books like that. Huh? Yeah. There's so many books like that. We're actually... All the, said on the cover. all the good stuff's on the cover. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, in that particular book, he, 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 the dust cover explains him getting a call I think from the chief of Goldman Sachs. I'm not, I think he was Goldman Sachs. I'm just not sure. Um, he may have been one of the others. But Goldman Sachs chief rings him up, and he's ex-chief of Goldman Sachs himself. He says, you've got to do something. We're going to go bankrupt. And he said, well, how long have you got? And the answer was, about three hours. Mm. So with a plunging value in the assets, and this is this is why they were separated, because when you're, if, if you're – asset portfolio as a bank included shares and there's a 10% fall in the share market, your assets fall 10%, your liabilities remain constant, equity goes negative, you're bankrupt. So 
under that scheme, though, so I mean, so to separate, so hence the reason to separate out yeah. commercial and investment banks. So yeah. under, so today, I mean, that that is the legislation in, in most parts of the world. Yeah. So I put my money into my bank account. Mm. That uh, that money is not going to be used by that bank in, to buy shares. To buy shares, <clears throat> they, the bank will use its own um, its own assets basically to. to well, no, no, it, own, it can't buy those assets in the first thing. place. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it can you basically can buy it can have reserves or bonds. Yeah. Now, there's some limited classes of assets which are allowed as well, but the banks fundamentally have to be backed by either reserves or bonds, whereas the merchant banks, pardon me, banks, uh, can buy whatever they like, including shares. Yeah. Okay. And if the bank goes under for any reason, then there's a compensation scheme, which I think also came out of that Chicago Sorry? plan. There's a compensation scheme as the well. which insurance I think all, schemes. Yeah, which, yeah. Came, which came out of the Chicago plan as well. So but they were also thing. restricted in amount. Mm. And, and and that's the other fragility can come from that because if you have a, like I think the Australian situation, a limitation of $100,000 per deposit account, mm. which is pretty trivial for the... Um, £85,000 in the UK. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rupert Murdoch would not be comfortable with that. So what you therefore get is runs can occur, but it's now the wealthy doing the runs rather than the poor. Yeah. And the fun thing about, the back, back to the current structure, uh, what people th- call fractional reserve banking, when you look at the rules when America didn't have reserve deposit requirements and it doesn't anymore, I don't think it abolished them in 2017 or something like that. But when they had those rules and... The rule was they had to have 10% of household deposits. So mm. what the reserves were there for was not to limit bank lending, but to mean that if the households had a panic, then the banks had 10% of the outstanding deposits, household deposits on hand in case there was the household panic and people would line up on the on the pavement to get their money out. But the limited, there was no rule whatsoever for corporate uh, corporate uh, deposits and no rule for international. So it is it was always there just to handle bank runs. So the Chicago plan and I think we've, you know, convinced ourselves <clears throat> bad idea in terms of uh, in terms of money creation because of that fluidity that, you know, giving banks the yeah. opportunity to to invest in in uh, worthwhile investments to help grow the economy rather than it mm. being stuck in the hands of a of a government that probably doesn't want to create too much money because mm. uh, because we don't like creating money because it makes us a bit nervous. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're all civil servants, so what the fuck do we know anyway? So you've got that. You've got that problem. It doesn't solve the problem, which it seems like the real issue. That the uh, which is not to do with money creation as such. It's the the investment banks which are getting involved in all of these dodgy schemes, investing mm. money which they do have to put into schemes like mortgage-backed securities, for example, which are in their very essence. Dodgy, getting people mm. to put their money into these into these schemes uh, for something which isn't real money. Yeah. Even, even though it started with real, it started with the bank's real money and people investing their real money mm. to create bubbles of stuff that really doesn't. Well, exist let's let's actually follow up on this by like we're discussing the Chicago plan. Let's discuss positive money's plans. Mm. As well, one pro, one show, and I've got to go through. I mean, I'm, I'm actually on the advisory board to Positive Money, right. money because my knowledge of you know private banking and my Minsky software and so on. Um, but I've got to have a good look at their plan. Let's have a good look at that and have a. But that's the, the Chicago plan won't happen. Positive Money, maybe. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do that in future weeks. Okay. We'll, we'll add it to the list, the ever-expanding list mm. for the Debunking Economics podcast. It's been a good one. Good to talk, Steve. Catch you next week. Okay. The yep. Debunking Economics podcast. 
flimsy stand slowing you down? Well, it's time to upgrade. Armadillo builds durable North American-made tablet stands and kiosks. We're so confident, we offer a lifetime warranty. So, elevate your business and visit armadillo.com. That's A-R-M-O-D-I-L-O.com and use code ACAST for 5% off. Armadillo, built to last, designed to impress. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.